speak to us today through your word, God, that uh, in the midst of imperfect people, people who will fail, God, we will see that you don't fail. You will not fail us. You will strengthen us. You will uphold us with your righteous right hand. And so, God, I pray today that you would speak to us through the power of your word, knowing that it's your word and your spirit that can convict and can change our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 13. We're continuing uh, our new series. We started last week called The King and His Kingdom. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Um, and, and you can follow along as you go. I want to give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about parables. Now, if anybody knows anything about a parable, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so what you have to begin to understand is Jesus spoke in parables all throughout the Bible. All right? He would speak in parables. In other words, they were stories that would help people understand uh, a meaning he was trying to communicate in their modern day, uh, really, setting. Uh, I believe if Jesus was around now, he would use technology a lot, whereas in the past, he used a lot of farming parables, um, and one of the things we're going to look at today. Uh, so you're going to, as we dig in, you're going to have to begin to understand that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's trying to communicate something with a spiritual impact to, to people who, who knew exactly what he was talking about when he talks about uh, what we're going to read about here today. So parables tell a story using something the hearers would have seen every day. You know, maybe Jesus would talk about driving and tell a story about bad drivers or impatient drivers or road rage drivers. I don't know. Jesus might throw me under the bus and be like, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a driver who gets mad at the person in front of him and tells them where they can go. I mean, never mind. We won't go there. So, uh, but when Jesus taught in parables, he used things that people of his day were familiar with. He always starts with something they can understand and moves to something they don't understand. He begins with something they see and moves to something they can't see. He starts with something natural and he moves to something supernatural. And he starts with something material and then works to something spiritual. So I want to start in, in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read this. You're not going to, you can follow along if you want, but I'm going to read this out loud and then, then you'll, you'll begin to kind of see. And we're going to jump around here just a little bit. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. All right. Now, you can imagine sitting by a lake. I think most of us can think, man, I wish I was by a lake right now. All right. But such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he begins to tell them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow a seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. Listen, this is a crop of 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, the knowledge, listen to this, the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Now, we're going to explain and understand just a little bit of what's going on, and then jump with me down to verse 18, because listen, he's going to explain now the rest of the parable. 
Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, or snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places, the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of the life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke it and make it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word, who understands it, and he produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so here's the deal that we have to begin to understand. If Jesus were to teach today, what would this parable look like? How would it maybe play out? And what we have to begin to understand is we begin to understand or see the reality of, of, of sowing seed and sowing seed in good soil. And so if Jesus were teaching, he might use technology. He might use video games. He might use media. He might use uh, some of the protests. He might use violence as a way to communicate. And I'm not saying he would be violent. He might use the violence that's going on in the world to communicate the truth of the parable of the kingdom, that there are things that are going to take place within society. And so he's communicating a truth that we have to begin to understand. And so they might be different because our culture is different. But we also have to begin to understand that the truth is we can still learn kingdom principles from the parable of the sower that we see right here that we can apply to our lives. <coughs> you have to excuse me. I'm going to grab this. Um, our week has been chaos. My son missed school Tuesday and Wednesday uh, with a fever and sickness, and I think he gave it to me because the last four nights I haven't slept very well, and uh, now it's affecting my my voice and everything. It may affect my brain, so forgive me on that part. I don't know, um, but we'll, we'll deal with what we got here. So um, here's, here's the key point. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that a fertile heart is where God's truth produces good fruit. A fertile heart, in other words, fertile soil, just like fertile soil produce good crop, a fertile heart is where God's truth produces good fruit. All right, and so we're gonna dig in to understand what that means. We're gonna look at the four different types of soil that Jesus just laid out. He said, hey, look, this is exactly what it's like. And we have to begin to understand that, that what he's saying is the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been revealed to those people who have a fertile heart. In other words, those who have listened to the word and not reject the word, those who have listened to the truth of the gospel and not rejected. Anytime we begin to reject, then what we do is we become one of the other soils. All right, a person who's against God, who says, I want nothing to do with God, God's false, Jesus, that can't be real, any of that. Matter of fact, Stephen Hawking just died this last week. Lots of praise for Stephen Hawking because of his science brilliance. But the reality also is Stephen Hawking believes that he's just basically mere happen chance, that he's just a mix of ooze and goo that all of a sudden came together and he became brilliant. I mean, like, that's like, okay, great. But there's no scientific evidence for any of that. And that's the, the beauty of what goes on in, in, in this. And, and the reality is that Stephen Hawking has met his maker. And sadly, his maker has rejected him because he rejected his maker from the get-go. 
And so a fertile heart is where God's truth produces good fruit. So we're gonna look at the four types of soil. So we're gonna discuss or break these down in very simple things. I don't have a lot of outline this time because you're gonna see that I think it's very specific, very pointed. We're gonna, we're gonna look at the soil and what Jesus says in the first part, and then we're gonna look towards the end and what he describes about that soil. And so you have to begin to understand, we're gonna see that the beaten path is something that a lot of people are on. A matter of fact, Back in that time, what you would understand is everybody walked. They didn't drive, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, because they didn't have cars. They didn't have wheels. Well, maybe they did have wheels. I don't know. But everything was, everything was walking. And so what was normal, customary of that day was that when a farmer would plant a field, around the fields were beaten paths. As a matter of fact, if you go out to most farmers or, or, or guys who raise stuff, they still have paths around it. It's either the edge of the fence row or they might have the area where the irrigation runs, but they've got a path around it and that path tends to be beaten. Why? Because it's not cultivated. It's walked upon. When the water or when it rains, then the water just kind of tramples it down and people walk on it, it just continues to get harder and harder and harder. And one of the things I've even seen in my yard is where my dog's at, where, where she runs around and where, where our kids play and stuff like that. What happens to that path where they're playing? It gets beat down. The grass doesn't grow. Matter of fact, all through the summer, the grass would be like this high. It's like barely green, you know. And, and here's the funny thing. When I try and throw grass down on it, if I don't break up that soil to make it soft so it can accept the seed, I can throw grass seed down all day. Guess what happens? <laughs> the squirrels and the birds come down and eat my daggum grass seed. For which reason, I, never mind. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I have a trap. Squirrels don't like me. So they get taken and dropped off somewhere else. <laughs> but but here, here's what happens. Back in Jesus' time, people would walk everywhere. And so the farmers would set it up that way, and they weren't taken care of. Um, and uh, th that path wasn't taken care of. It was a place so people wouldn't walk through the crops. And much like, like, like when I go hunting out in Wyoming, I can find where the animals walk. It's called a game path. The funny thing about a game path is nothing grows on it. Why? Because the animals walk there. It's a consistent path that's beat down and, and, and walked on. It's harder than everything else. And unless it rains, you might not even see the track of the animal. And so we have to begin to understand what he's laying out. He says, a farmer went out to sow a seed and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. And we have to begin to understand as we jump to verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. We have to begin to understand this, how it plays out, all right? As you begin to talk to somebody about who Jesus is, you begin to talk to somebody about the gospel, there's going to be people who are going to respond with some questions. They're going to have some doubts. There are going to be some who are going to respond, and they're going to respond with bitterness or anger. They may say, hey, that's a bunch of bogus junk. We're not going to follow that. And you have to begin to see that there is a specific type of soil at this point that they are. They may be the beaten path. You may be the beaten path. You may be the rocky soil. And we begin to understand and play it out that Jesus wants to do something in the lives of those people. What we have to do is consistently cast out seed. 
So much like I, when I go hunting, I'll find paths that have been beaten down by some of the deer. There's not much growing on the path, and there's not going to be much growing on a path that's walked on consistently. The birds are rather going to come up, steal the seed, take it away. And what it plays out is this. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. See, the reality is this, that because the ground is hard, because the heart is hard, the seed can't penetrate it, and the evil one steals it away. When we begin to understand how that plays out, we have to begin to understand that every time we cast out seed, every time we share the gospel with somebody, everybody, every time we talk to somebody about who Christ is, we don't know the condition of their heart. Their condition of their heart may be hard. You don't know what they experienced as a child. You don't know how they grew up. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know what they believe. You don't know what they've been taught. You don't understand any of that. And here's the reality about dealing with soil. Can you and I control the soil? No. No, matter of fact, we're gonna dig in and understand that just a little bit more, but I want you to begin to understand this, is that we can't control the soil. We don't even till the soil. God is the one who takes care of tilling the soil. God is the one who hardened or doesn't harden, he who softens that heart. What they have to do is open their heart up to let God speak into their life. Most of the time, we walk around with calloused, hard hearts. And when we walk around with calloused, hard heart, all it takes is the bird or the evil one, Satan, to come in and snatch away exactly what God has been trying to speak into somebody else's life. And here's the truth of what scripture says. It says at the start that God has been speaking to people before time began through his creation, trying to call out to him, showing him who he is. And yet people reject him by the hardness of their heart. And so God tries to use over and over and over again, whether it's creation or people, to speak to their heart to soften their heart, to till the soil so that when the seed is cast, that the seed can grow instead of being stolen away. So you have the beaten path, the message that God is, is king over the spiritual, eternal kingdom, that he is inviting us into the kingdom. That's the message that's stolen by the enemy. See, the good news is what offers life, hope, hope peace, forgiveness, and righteousness. The kingdom involves all of that, and the only way to enter into that kingdom is by putting your faith and trust in Christ. And when you tell somebody that, and they say, well, that can't be exactly true, then what you're seeing is that's that beaten path that Satan comes in, and he says, hey, look, you can hear that, but don't listen to it, so I'm going to steal it away. Matter of fact, According to scripture, it says that God has, or not God, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. That Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see truth from fiction. And all we have to do is see that played out all throughout society and culture. And he's inviting us. Listen, Christ is inviting us into a kingdom of light, away from a kingdom of darkness with his son, Jesus Christ. So, the problem may be the individual's heart, that it's hardened, that it struggles, that it doubts, that this, person heart tend, this person's heart tends to grow harder and more callous the more they're dealt with. But we have to begin to understand this, though. Is there a problem with the seed? Is there a problem with the sower? No. 
The problem is the soil. And you and I can't control the soil of the individual's hearts. You and I can only control whether we cast out the seed. See, Satan, Satan snatches away the message through doubt, through false teachers, through pride, through fear, through fear of man, through fear of the rejection, through everything else. And so we begin to see that the kingdom of heaven or the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. And here's the reason why. It's not because God gave a special message and says, I don't want them to know. It's because deep down inside, according to what we even see in Romans, the wickedness of the heart wants to suppress truth. And so the wickedness of the heart says, I don't want to believe the truth because that's way too easy. It's got to be something more difficult, more complicated, more hard than just Jesus' death on the cross. Because if it was just Jesus' death on the cross, then everybody else would believe it. But everybody doesn't believe it, so it can't be true. So a fertile heart is where God's truth produces good fruit. So there's the beaten path description. Next one, there's the rocky soil. Now, anybody ever dealt with rocky soil? <coughs> if, if you lived in Springfield, you had to deal with it drastically. Matter of fact, when we had our house built, I'm just, I'm just going to lay this out. It's, it's really much like what we have here in Missouri. Uh, I'm not sure much about North Missouri, but South Missouri, there's limestone under, ev uh, under everything. Uh, matter of fact, when we were building our house, we chose the top. We were having our house built in Springfield. We chose the top of the, the, the area. I didn't want to live at the bottom. I didn't want all the drainage coming down into my house. I wanted to live at the top of the hill. And so I said, hey, can we put a basement on this house possibly? Just questioning what, and the guy goes, no. And I was like, why not? And he goes, because this is the top. This is limestone. He said, I can, I can get enough of a foundation in in this area, but if you want that, I'm going to have to bring in dynamite and it's going to get real expensive. And I went, oh no, no, we're not going down that road. I understand exactly what you're talking about. There's limestone underneath uh, the, the, the land. And so, so what we begin to understand, is much like what we have in Missouri, they dealt with the same thing over there in Palestine, in Israel area. All right? There would be farming area where there was rock underneath. There was limestone underneath. And if the farmer didn't go through and get the limestone up and out, then that area was no good to plant any seed. Why? Because the seed would be planted and it would grow up super quick. But what happens when it gets hot? What happens when pressure is put on? What happens when there's resistance to? What happens when there's not very much water? Well, that crop begins to die. And so... I, I got this perfect illustration. When we, we moved into our house, uh, we, we you know, planted a yard. We put out grass seed. We're trying to get it to grow. And I had this one spot in the backyard that would, it would always grow fast, <laughs> grow up, and it would die. It's like, what the heck's going on? I'd plant more grass seed, and it'd grow up, and it would die. And I did this like three times. Finally, I was like, I'm going to find out what the heck's going on. So I start digging. And I mean, I didn't get an inch under the soil. Wham, I hit this rock. I'm like, what the heck? So I start digging around. Well, the next thing I know, I got like this six foot long, like ditch dug around my yard. And it wasn't limestone. I have no clue who did this, but they had cut out a section of curb from the street, like the curb and gutter, like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the curb for the sidewalk, you, you know what I'm saying? Six foot long, whatever, two foot wide, concrete piece poof, right there with about an inch of dirt over it. 
and I couldn't get any grass to grow because that concrete curb was there. And every time it'd get hot, that concrete would heat up, the grass would die off, and nothing would grow. And that's exactly what he's laying out in this picture of the rocky soil. Listen to what he says. He says, some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. And then listen to what he says, jump into verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And so I lay it out like this. A lot of times guys will, maybe it's in prison or maybe there's a difficulty in life. Maybe there's a loss of a loved one. Somebody all of a sudden comes and they, they say they believe, they put their faith in, in Christ. But then when persecution and trouble and, and hardship comes, they tend to walk away. In other words, it wasn't necessarily a real belief in the first place anyways. It was just a get out of fire insurance thing. Matter of fact, there would be what I would cast out in so, so many ways because of manipulation and a number of tactics, tactics used back for years ago, especially with the hellfire and brimstone Southern Baptist mentality was that it was manipulation more than anything, that there were a lot of people who accepted Christ in this way. They walked the aisle, they prayed with the pastor, two weeks later they were baptized, three weeks later they were nowhere to be found and never seen again. Why? Because it wasn't true heartfelt commitment. The going got tough, they started to question what they even made a decision for in the first place, and they began to walk away. And they just say, look, this isn't for me. And so this is the person who makes a faith decision, who hears the word, who receives it with joy, but yet walks away. Listen, again, he says he received it with joy. It's not that they were like, well, okay, maybe this is the thing. They received it with joy, but they never counted the cost. See, when you follow Christ, it says it costs something to be a Christian. Matter of fact, in America, it really doesn't cost as much, at least not yet. But if you go into other countries, it may cost you your very life. It may cost you your family. There was a guy not too long ago, you maybe have heard of him, he wrote a number of books, his name was Nabil Qureshi. You guys, anybody ever listened to him? He was Muslim, born and raised a Muslim, uh, born and raised in, I believe, Iran. Came to Christ in college, and his dad told him if he ever come back, he'd kill him. You ever come back to my house, you're dead. I will put you to death. That's the cost of following Christ. That's the reality of what Christianity calls you to be. We are to be lovers of everybody. We're to love our enemies. This is the Bible says, Jesus says it. You've heard it say to hate your enemies, but I tell you to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. See, Jesus takes the kingdom, and this is why we're talking about the king and his kingdom. Jesus takes the mentality of the kingdom that everybody thinks about, and he says, it's completely opposite of what everybody's telling you to do. Well, I could tell, you know, people tell, hey, you can, you can divorce your wife if you don't, you know, if, she, if she, she commits adultery, but Jesus also says, look, the only reason you have divorce is for the hardness of your heart. You should be able to forgive a person 77 times. Wait, 77 times? Are you kidding me? See, Jesus takes everything and flips it upside down. He completely screws with our minds because we think it's one way. We think it's gonna be one way. And Jesus says, no, it's completely opposite. 
And that's the way it is in the kingdom of heaven. It's somebody who walks by faith, somebody who follows him no matter the cost. They never counted the cost. This is the person who, who doesn't realize what it costs. Matter of fact, if you go to John chapter six, and I'd encourage you to read it later, but in John chapter six, it talks about how all of these people were following Jesus around. Why? Because he performed miracles. He was feeding people. He was doing all kinds of crazy things. Everybody's following Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, if you don't drink my flesh, or, or, or eat my flesh and drink my blood, which he's talking about the, the, you know, believing in him and following him and then what we do with the Lord's Supper Day. If you don't do this, you can have nothing to, to do with me. And in John chapter six, verse 66, it says that that day many people walked away never to follow him again. Why? Because they were all about everything Jesus did, but when Jesus laid the rubber down, when he said, hey, this is the way it really has to be, it's going to cost you. If you want to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. If it's going to cost, then I want nothing to do with it, because it cost me. And so the idea is this, that the person where the, the seed fell on rocky soil is the person who realizes, yeah, hey, this is truth, but the, realize, the minute they realize the cost they say it's not worth it. I don't want the cost. I don't want to have to pay the cost. I don't want to have to lose friends. I don't want to have to lose family members. I don't want to have to make those types of decisions. See, to be a Christian could cost you your relationship with other people. It could cause your own family to turn against you. It could cause you to lose some friends. And that's the rocky soil. Then you got the, the seed or the soil with the, the thorns. He says, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants, and still other seed fell on good soil. Let me, let me stop there. So, so you have the, the seed that fell on the, the, the soil with thorns, and the one who received this, the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, listen, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So here's the reality. The farmer would do the best he could when plowing the fields to get all the weeds out. Anybody garden? Okay. What do you do with weeds? You pull them, right? All right. When they start to come up though, right? You don't want them to get too big. I, I, I've got this area in my backyard and, and I, like, I like to mow. I'm weird. I know. Um, but I like to mow. But I got this area where I got these weeds. And they're, they're not like broadleaf weeds. They're just an annoying, I don't even know what it is. It's like a, it spreads and it's all connected. It's like one area pops up, but it goes, and it spreads out. And it covers, it kills all the grass. It drives me nuts. Because I pull it up and all that grass is dead. I, now I got to wait. It comes back sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. But here's the parable and how it plays out. If, if you don't take care of the weeds, then it begins to choke out the life from the plants that are going around. It will take over. It will grow so big. Matter of fact, if you, if you, if you were down in, in southwest Missouri, a lot of the guys that I went to church with down there who had, who had land and stuff, when they found thistles, they would dig down as far as they could, dig them out. They would set them off the side and they would burn them because they didn't want any of the thistles to get into any of their other crops. Or, or, or things like that. And so they would dig down and deal with it at that point. And the farmer would do the same thing. He would go through and he would try and take care of all the weeds beforehand so that when he scattered the seed, when he sowed the seed, there wasn't any there. But the farmer always watched for the weeds as well. Why? Because the weeds can choke the life out of the good crops. 
And here's what he's literally trying to get to. The point we have to begin to understand is that we begin to see that the the one who received the seed that fell on the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. And this is what I'm worried about sometimes in the Christian church. This is where I would call American evangelicalism. We want the Jesus stuff but we want to chase the American dream. We're willing to give up some of the truth of the gospel to chase the American dream. And we do that consistently. Matter of fact, I think that's one of the greatest problems we have in today's economy, today's political environment, is because people don't believe Christians. Not with the attitudes and actions that have come out in the last really two to 10 years. Not with political stances and statements made, not with beliefs and opinions on certain things. Because we don't back up what we say we believe with our actions. We oftentimes back it up with political statements. And so he's literally saying, look, it's gonna choke this out. See, the weeds grow, and they grow fast. Have you ever noticed that? A weed, when it starts to grow, it just, it takes off, and it blooms, and it blossoms, and it takes over a large area fairly quickly, and they suck all the moisture out of the ground. They suck all the moisture away from the crop, and the weeds begin to spread, and they overtake the crop, and unless the crop is, is, is growing alone, it can't be fruitful. And listen, here's the big picture. This individual is focused on everything else in the world except the kingdom. And my question is this. As a church, as individuals, when it comes down to it, when the rubber meets the road, If I get real with myself, are you more worried about the worldly things? Are you more worried about the deceitfulness of wealth? Or are you more worried about bearing fruit? (coughs) Because that's a hard question to answer, I think. There are a lot of Christians who are like, man, I gotta worry about this. We're not going to worry about the kingdom. Kingdom is secondary. Ah, my kingdom's primary. And the problem is when we set up that as the primary goal, when we set up that as the primary kingdom, then we've missed the big picture because here's what's going to happen. And here's the reality of what I've seen consistently is that when it gets tough, I will give up church and I will give up the kingdom as long as I can do certain things as long as I can build my retirement portfolios, as long as I stay focused on those things. Listen, over and over and over again, matter of fact, if you read Matthew chapter six, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and and all of these other things will be added to you, right? But here's the way we oftentimes go. I'll seek that after everything has been taken care of first. When everything's been taken care of first, then I will... Seek the kingdom. 
And so we have to begin to watch. We have to check this out because this is no different than what James lays out as a double-minded man. In the book of James, it says the double-minded man is the one who's not going to receive anything from God. Rather, he's trying to serve God and money, and you can't serve both. And so you begin to ask yourself, am I more interested in my career? Am I more interested in the world? Am I more interested in the riches that are available rather than the kingdom of God. Those are the, the, the three main that we begin to understand. And then here's, here's the one I wanna focus on, and I think the biggest one you begin to see. Still other seed fell on what? What's it say? Good soil, right? Now, there's a big difference between good soil and bad soil. Like, I'll, I'll use an example. Um, I was digging up around our house. Our house has a bunch of rock. And it had rock, but then they didn't put any layer of anything down, like plastic or anything down. So I'm trying to clean out this area. So I, I get a bunch of the rock moved, and I'm digging down. I'm trying to move the dirt. So I go and put the dirt over by the tree uh, because I got these roots that are starting to show. I put it down. Well, guess what happens? It rains. Guess what rises to the top? All the rocks. So now I'm out there taking all the rocks, throwing them back where they go because it's no good. It's not fertile. So what looked like good soil wasn't good soil. What we begin to see is this. He says, still other seed fell on good soil. There weren't rocks, there weren't weeds, but listen to what happens. As a result of it falling on good soil, fertile soil, it produces a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. And here's what he begins to say. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil, verse 23, is the man who hears the word, who understands it, and he produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And here's the big thing for believers. Here's the big thing for those who have, have grown up in the church. Here's the big thing that for those who claim that you have put your faith and trust in Christ. Listen to what he says again. But the one who received the seed, in Mark chapter four, verse 20, it says, the one who heard the word, who accepted it and produced a crop. In Luke chapter 18, it says, those who hear the word, retain it by persevering, produce a crop. So here's the reality of what takes place. Those who have good soil, who have accepted the word, who have received the word, who have retained the word, who have kept it and had held on to it, have persevered through it, those are the ones who produce a crop 160 and 30 times. Now, the average farmer back in those days, if he got a seven, a seven-fold, whatever, production out of it, that was considered successful. Anything over seven was a great crop. And listen to what Jesus says. If you have good soil, you accept the word, you hold on to it. In other words, you hold on to it dearly because that's the life that you have. That's the lifeblood that gives everything out. From that, you will produce 160 or 30 times what was sown. Why? Is it because of anything that you've done? No. It's because the sower who has taken care of the field plants the crop and produces the growth is the one who gets the glory out of everything that goes on. So the produce, the produce I bear, the fruit I bear is not a result of me, but it's a result of Christ working in me. 
in the midst of everything that goes on. It's not that I'm perfect. It's not that I'm without sin. It's not that I'm without any problems, but it's the one that says, God is going to plow through my life. I am willing to let him pick out the rocks. Listen, the rocks that are gonna cause me to walk a certain way. I am willing to let him take out the weeds so that I'm not stumbled or or held back by the worldly possessions of what's going on. I am willing to let him tear up my path because my path has been beaten down by everything else. See, God wants to get to the heart of the matter in your life. And that's the big picture. Good soil has been worked. Good soil has been tilled. Good soil has been cleared of rocks. Good soil has been pulled from, or the weeds have been pulled from. And the great spiritual truth is this, that God's seed can go into the life of any individual and produce an unimaginable crop of 160 or 30 times what you think you can do on your own. So the sower appears to be Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you jump to Matthew uh, chapter uh, 13, verse 37, listen to what he says. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. That's not you, that's Jesus. And he's the one who sows the good seed. But here's the great news in this story too because there's, there's truth in the fact that we are all sowers of seed because we see later in Acts that that's exactly what takes place in the disciples' lives. They were supposed to cast out seed to throw out the truth of the gospel, to let people hear about the grace and truth that Jesus offers by his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. See, if you hear the gospel message and the message of Jesus Christ and you turn your back and walk away, that doesn't say anything about the seed. It doesn't even say anything about the, the sower. It says everything about the soil. And that's the heart of the individual. See, the disciples and we ourselves need to be reminded, and I believe this is the truth we have to begin to understand, that you're gonna face tough times, you're gonna be persecuted, you may be rejected as a result of sowing seed, but you're still called to sow the seed. You can't till the soil. You can continue to work the seed out, hoping that the soil's been tilled with your conversations and stuff, but you can't till the soil. God's the one who does the tilling. God's the one who makes the ground fertile. God's the one who plants the seed as we cast it out. He's the one who makes it grow. Matter of fact, there's a point where uh, Paul says, who, who am I, Paul, and who's Apollos? One planted the seed, one watered it, but God is the one who made the seed grow. And so what we have to begin to understand when we talk about the king and his kingdom, when we begin to see what Jesus does, Jesus takes everything and he flips it upside down. What everybody expects out of the kingdom, Jesus says, no, it's not like that. Remember, the Jews were expecting a political ruler who was going to come in and dominate the Romans, and Jesus says, it's not going to be like, like that. I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. Matter of fact, I'm going to die on the cross. And everybody went, no way, can't do it. Matter of fact, they're the ones who send him to the cross. And so what we begin to understand is this, the reason that we can understand the parables. The reason we can understand the gospel is because, not because of something great that you offer to God, not because you're somebody special, but because of God's work in our heart. 
that God has softened your heart, that, that when the gospel seed was planted, when whether it was a Sunday school teacher or a coworker or whatever, that your heart was softened enough that God when, God, when that seed was planted, that your heart reacted to it. That your heart decided to jump at it. Because why? The, the, the ground had been tilled, your heart was softened and it was ready to accept that truth. And they had, listen, those people, others have continued to reject. Whether it's Satan has walked away, whether it's the, the, the cares of the life, they continue to reject this because why? Maybe the, the root has shriveled up. It's just the condition of their heart. And so that's what the keys of the kingdom or the king and his kingdom is really about. This parable is all about sowing seed. It's all about the presenting the good news of how to get into the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what he wants us to understand. You wanna get into the kingdom? Because it's not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about our church's kingdom. It's not about a kingdom in Missouri. It's not about a kingdom in the United States. But if you wanna get into the kingdom, you have to accept the seed and begin to grow from there. And that's how you reap a harvest of 160 and 30 times greater. Let's pray. <coughs> well, Father, you know our position, you know our stance, you know our struggles, you know our beliefs, you know what we've struggled with, you know what we have put our trust in, you know that maybe there are things that we have let uh, become priority. But God, I pray today that we would begin to see the keys to the kingdom. We would begin to understand um, your desire for us, your, your desire to plant the seeds, that, you would, that we would look inward at our hearts, that we could see the callousness, the harshness, maybe the, the shallowness of our hearts. Maybe they're just hardened because they're rocky soil. Maybe they're full of distractions and, and struggles because we have other priorities that lead us away. But God, we know that the only way to understand, the only way to believe, the only way to, to experience the fruit of the kingdom is to know that your seed has been planted in good soil, fresh soil, fertile soil, that it can grow. And so God, I pray today that you would just have your way, that we would be uh, mindful and understanding, that we would evaluate our own heart so we wouldn't look at other people, but we could just look deep within and evaluate our heart and ask, what is my heart like? What do I let be primary? What is the main focus in my heart and my life? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing, uh, if you have a prayer request, you want somebody to pray with you, I'll be up here to pray with you. We're going to close with a song. If you want to know more about who Jesus is or have some questions, I'll be there at the end or you can come up and talk to me here in just a little bit. There's no pressure and no manipulation. We want you to make a decision based upon Christ calling you and the Spirit working for you.